My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 168 of Legally Clueless. Thanks for rocking with this podcast. If you're new to it, welcome to the fam. Audio episodes like this got every single Monday and you can join our cozy corner of the internet on Instagram. We're at Legally Clueless Africa on TikTok, Legally Clueless Africa as well. And if you're going to chit chat about the podcast on Twitter, kindly make it easier for me to stalk you. (laughs) (laughs) The hashtag to use is Legally Clueless. Ooh, do not forget, check out our YouTube channel to watch two seasons of our video series and our tour series as well. So I'm really excited about this episode because we're doing something we haven't done for a long time. And I do know quite a few of you are asking, when is the next random convos going to drop? Well, it's dropping in this episode. Listen to this. I take motives from things that are typically found in African history, like um, housewares or how they used to dress or their art and and then I repackage it into something more modern and contemporary. And most of us don't even know our own mother tongue. I come from a family where my dad and my mom are from different communities. I feel like there's been that disconnect in identity where you're an African, but you have so many Western influences because we've grown up in such an exposed world. Um, my earrings are a paisley pattern. It was brought to Africa by the Portuguese. From accounts that I've read, I feel like... Africans attached themselves to the paisley pattern because it looked like the cashew nut, which was commonly grown in the coast and was a symbol of fertility and abundance. I'm Luo, so I'm influenced by you know where I come from, obviously. And products like the hats get a huge reference from where I come from because my community, when you wear a hat, it's like a position of power and respect. Yes, we're going to be having a conversation that I'm so passionate about and I'm just so happy that we can finally have it here on Legally Clueless. And that's Bev and Vicky, who are two really dope Kenyan creatives. And one other person is going to be joining us on Random Convos that's coming up a little later in this episode. But before we get there the song of the week yo i can't believe i haven't shared the song yet because i love the entire album even though it's in a language i can't really remember because high school was such a long time ago and i haven't spoken french since but <sighs> strome i absolutely love this guy definitely one of my current top three artists his Most recent album is just out of this world. And I like how he makes it easier for us to understand what he's saying on his YouTube (laughs) or in the videos for the songs that have videos already, like the one I want you to check out. It's called Fille de Joie. I hope I've pronounced that right. It's such a powerful song. The music video is Bananas. Okay, I am biased because I'm such a stan, but even if you remove that, this is such a good song. So please go listen to it. And honestly, listen to the entire album. There is something powerful about his music, even if you don't fully understand French or understand it at all. There's just a ka ka energy. It is music that is just so refreshing, my goodness. But I put a link in the show notes to this particular song. I think you'll like it. It's refreshingly different. It's very deep. It's so good. Okay, away from that, I just want to check in from last week's episode where I was pretty sure I was using like the last percentages of my voice (laughs) because I had a flu. Well, I still kind of have it, but I'm so much better. I was super convinced last week that after ducking COVID for two and some change years (laughs) that I finally got it. And I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, every small feeling I felt was magnified in my head. And at a point on Sunday night, after I'd finished producing the last episode, I was like Googling, what are the latest symptoms of COVID 2022? Then I'm seeing body aches, fever, sore throat. And every symptom I read, I automatically started feeling it. The mind is such a powerful place. I did quite a few COVID tests last week. And, you know, the last one 
One of the docs was like, okay, listen, there has been a flu outbreak in Nairobi. This is what you have, sis. <laughs> but I'm such a hothead. <laughs> I felt like I knew more than the doctor. Yeah, because of WebMD. But anyway, I'm feeling much better now, which is really good. But I'm definitely going to keep my mask on because a few weeks of having no mask on and then I just get this terrible flu no thanks i'm going back to my two years of not having any like severe illnesses away from like physical stuff ah i woke up today and i checked twitter and there was this tweet i saw where someone was asking am i the only one who just feels like crap like woke up feeling like crap and i was just like dude this has been me for i don't know what week we're in now i'm just emotionally and just mentally exhausted i feel so drained and just like a lot more energy is needed for me to get into a positive mind space to restructure my thoughts still battling some dark thoughts here and there but I am going for weekly and monthly therapy sessions so I'm trusting that that's going to hold me down a bit but the last couple of days have just been really hard but what I will say is on some really hard days, I've just been like asking the universe, please, please, please send me some kindness. Please, please, please send me some light. And what's been really awesome is every time I've done that, I've received just some random acts of kindness, just either from people I know or sometimes from complete strangers. And that has just been like the little fuel I've needed to get to the end of that day. And then the next day, I'm just like asking the universe again and it delivers. And so because that has been so instrumental for me in these really mentally trying times, I just wanted to share that if you have the capacity to be kind this week, if you have the space to do it, please show kindness to someone, a stranger or someone that you know. It could be the one thing they need to kind of just like hang in there. So if you have the capacity to, some of us really need it. <laughs> And we'd really be thankful. So go ahead and be kind. All right, let's jump into random convos. I'm actually really excited that we get to do this again because I feel like as much as I call them random convos, they're not so random. They're actually pretty deep. And it's a conversation I found myself being very passionate about. And it's one on identity, on culture, on heritage, on decolonization, on just my African experience and I've gotten deeper into the space from last year when I went to France and really got to workshop with other Africans from Francophone African countries and then going to Harare afterwards for you know the conference on African cultures you know and just also thinking about Legally Clueless and the different African stories that we hear here and just the space that we've created to be able to share our stories and learn about each other in a very natural, human, raw and unbiased way. So I'm really glad that I'm having this particular conversation with you um, today. So how it started was last month, there was a launch of a symposium that I went for and it was a symposium by the British Council. While there, there were tough conversations on decolonization, on culture and on heritage. I call them tough conversations because sometimes we have to sit in some discomfort when we have these convos, but they're so important. They're so necessary for us to be able to craft what our present and future looks like as Africans. What I also liked finding out was the different programs and even funding there are for those of us in the creative and arts industries who would like to help rebuild and safeguard our cultural heritage as Kenyans or as, hey, even down to your community or even spreading it wider to the entire continent as Africans and just really wanting to do my part in not just having these conversations but ensuring that you 
get to know about these programs, get to know about these funds and how you can use them to safeguard our culture and heritage. So one program we're going to talk about in Random Convos is the Creative DNA program. It focused more on the fashion industry and we're going to talk to two Kenyan creatives in the fashion and jewelry industry who went through that program and also the head of arts at the British Council. So I'm very sure this is going to be a powerful random convo and you're going to leave with an abundance of different programs and resources that you can tap into. Random Convos powered by the British Council. Get the skills to grow your creative business on the British Council and Microsoft's Creative Economy e-learning platform so it's been a while since we did random convos and i decided hey why not in this episode and not alone (laughs) this time around i have three awesome africans joining me and we're going to be talking about cultural heritage something that is important to me on a personal level as an african as a kenyan and as somebody creating a place where our stories can be told by us in an unbiased way but also in like the spaces that I go into, I find that it's important to kind of be an ambassador for this conversation as well in everything that I do, legally clueless, you know, included. But I want you to meet my three other friends. I've just decided that we're friends. <laughs> I've insisted. And we're going to start with the ladies first. So we have Sandra Chege. I know there's very important work that you do at the British Council as the head of Arts Kenya. In your introduction, maybe you can tell us a bit of what you do, yes, but even why cultural heritage is a conversation you even want to be part of to begin with. Of course. Hello, everyone. <laughs> my name is Sandra Chege, and I I'm currently the head of arts for the British Council's work in Kenya. And I also look after their portfolio in heritage, which means that I'm looking at how we think about heritage and climate, how we think about that in conflict Mm. and how we think about that in heritage. But beyond the work at the British Council, I have been in the creative industry for... 10 years plus doing as many imaginable jobs as you can uh, throw at me. I have worked customer service in theatres. I have managed musicians. I've managed a label. I've run festivals. I've thought about I've done lighting. I'm just deeply interested in in the work. I've worked in the visual arts sector as well. And theatre has been something of interest to me in the past. So it all comes together quite beautifully in the work that I do at the council because I am able to bring that experience of trying to understand and learn a technical skill or a creative skill so that I can kind of make a life in this creative industry of ours. So that's, yeah, that's me. Isn't it interesting how you can always um, connect things the dots backwards, like in hindsight, in the moment when you're doing customer service and you're dealing with wild people, festivals and events, you don't understand why you're going through it. But now looking back, you're like, ah... I see it. Exactly. You can you can make it the narrative neater, but that, that moment when you're selling CDs at a show, you're like, is this is this is this life? Is this what it's about? This is why I'm here. Is this, it? this is it. Yeah. We'll come back to Sandra in a bit. But designer Vicky Maimba, and I was really trying to ensure that I say this right and like my ancestors don't like twist my tongue. Tiger tail twister. Yes. <laughs> So maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Um, My name is Vicky Maimba. I am the founder of Tiger Tail Twister, which is Kenyan-owned jewelry brand that creates ethically handcrafted jewelry that's inspired by African culture, African heritage. So what I do is I take motifs from things that were typically found in African history, like um, housewares or how they used to dress or the art and then I repackage it into something more modern and contemporary. Oh my goodness, that is such a skill. You know, it's an interesting way to learn about who we are. Yeah. Jewelry, isn't it? Right. So we're definitely coming back to that. I can't wait to understand that a bit deeper. And final, last but not least, the only guy in the (laughs) 
<laughs> in the room. Um, we have Bev, who is a friend, and Bev is. I was going to introduce you, so let me not Please do, do that. <laughs> no, I went into like this. Is my friend, you don't know. He makes good things. No, you, you, you do you, you do you. Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, well, hello. My name is Bevan Oguk. I'm a fashion designer with a brand called Boguk. So Boguk is all about Kenyan culture, creativity, fun, and craftsmanship. I love made in Kenya. So my story. I mean, we'll talk about it much later, but that's basically the start. Um, I also do experientials for brands. So what I mean by that is I host, you know, like if there's a new brand made in Kenya brand that wants to access say, my networks and something like that. So I host for them with small events and, and stuff like that. Interesting. Yeah. I was saying it earlier on that I have so many of your hats which we'll get to, yes. but I think you made me a suit in 2017. Yes. And every time I lose weight, I can still fit into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's still in good condition. So I vouch for your, <laughs> I vouch for your clothes. So I'm going to throw this out there on the table. We're hearing the word culture thrown around and it's very, I find that sometimes you can have a textbook definition, but I think the definition that is important to me is like the personal one, you know, and it's really like, how do you connect with your culture? How do you use what was your culture to kind of like create a culture for you going forward? You know, how do you connect with if it's a Kenyan culture, or African culture or bringing it down to like, for me, Luo culture, my clan, you know what I mean? There's so many levels to it. And so what I'll throw on the table is just culture. What role does it play in your everyday work of creating things? Um, I feel like culture is the basis that my business is based around. I feel like people in my generation specifically who've grown up in Nairobi, born and bred in Nairobi, there's this whole mix of culture and most of us don't even know our own mother tongue. Most of us come from families, especially like me. I come from a family where my dad and my mom are from different communities. It's such a huge resource, but at the same time, it means I never got the chance to learn my mother tongue or I didn't I didn't go to shags often. So I feel like there's been that disconnect in identity where you're an African, but you have so many Western influences because you've grown up in such an exposed world. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's... It's um, a resource. So um, I think Tiger Tail Twister is mostly about that. It's bringing those two worlds together, the modern world that's so heavily influenced by technology, by Western culture, and the world that our parents, for example, came from, which is a more African, more cultural. Maybe you can take one of your pieces and like unpack it for me because you said you take maybe prints or things that were found in like African households in certain communities, etc. And they give birth mm -hmm. to this jewelry piece. Maybe you can tell us about one piece and is it hard trying to figure out that bit of culture that was? How do you find that resource? I'll go from my process mm -hmm. making a piece. So my most recent collection was taking from Lasso Fabric, which is very popular, used by literally everyone in Kenya. So what I did is I just did a dive into its history, how it came about, what influenced it. And so I took pieces of design in the patterns. So I would take symbols and see um, why is this symbol so commonly used, especially like, like my earrings. Um, my earrings are paisley pattern it was brought to africa by the portuguese from what i've read from accounts that i've read i feel like africans attached themselves to the paisley pattern because it looked like the cashew nut which was commonly grown in the coast and was a symbol of fertility and abundance so i would take um, symbols and motifs like those and try and twist them into something that people in the modern world can relate to. Isn't that just so interesting? What? That is, dope. So cool. that is just so... That I, is I'm giving you flowers now and, and what I find it super interesting as well is even just fabrics. Is I used to be like, African print, African print all the time until one designer was like, there's nothing African about yeah. this print you're calling mm -hmm. African print. I was like, what? And I had to kind of check myself as well and be like, yeah. oh man, I don't even know enough about, because clothing and those prints and things, those are part of, of culture, right? So it's interesting hearing you talk about these things. And it's just, when you said fertility, I was like, yep, that sounds like <laughs> something important to our communities. But yeah. um, Bev, what about you? When we, we talk about culture and just your creative process, what rules? 
does it play? Like she said, it plays a huge role. You know, you're influenced. I'm Luo, so I'm influenced by, you know, where I come from, obviously. Uh, and products like the hats were, get a huge reference from where I come from because my community, when you wear a hat, it's like a position of power and respect and stuff like that. And also, um, so I grew up in Kibera as well, right? And that's where the brand is based. So I was always wearing a hat and it was like a statement to show my peers that I'm also like quite powerful and stuff. So it was, you know, an influence from just within as well, apart from my community, apart from the Luo community. And then now what I have is, because um, culture changes and it's always moving, so it's never standing, right? So I have reference from the past in terms of where we come from and what we've done, but also I um, find myself very tasked to try to shape now where Made in Kenya specifically is going. You know, so you're influenced by the pop culture, for example, the business and how Kenyans are dressed and how Kenyans talk and how, you know, like, so um, it's always moving for me. It's a moving target, to be honest. Um, so I'm always very aware about what's going on at a particular moment, of course, with reference to where I came from and uh, communities and the history that we have. That's so important. I'm also Lua. And, you know, I, I would think about like what I said, African print. And I think everyone, like, even as you're listening to this, you can already visualize what I'm talking about, like what our mothers or like older women will get sewn together for a wedding and things like that. But then when I dug deeper and I went for like exhibitions about different communities, I found for the Lewis, like there was a lot of feathers yes. and I was like, what? Yes. <laughs> I've been doing this all wrong. <laughs> I'm like, okay, who's the feather plug? Like, <laughs> And you know, you start learning about yourself and like what different um, feather arrangements would mean and things. It was so interesting to me. And I was like, I didn't know this. So it's it's very important. And I also like when you talk about like it's ever changing. Yeah. So even like Sheng. Exactly. You know, yeah. Sheng, um, as much as these people who think like, oh, that's, I'm like, that is such an important part of It's like a cultural reset like we will read about this in history books exactly. you know yeah. Yeah. but sandra because it's moving and it's ever changing that must be so difficult <laughs> in like trying to create an ecosystem that allows creators to kind of like keep keep culture alive and keep mm. it evolving as well right i i mean first i think reacting to the incredible stories and how those ideas are you know tying into how you think about your brand are so interesting and so important and i think it just even highlights why conversations like this contribute to the shaping of culture as well so the non-linear non-static idea that you know we are always making culture and therefore we are always in in it behind it around it yeah. and i think once we once we recognize that that it's that we are always in the midst of making shaping consuming and being a part of the culture i think it makes you calm down a little bit about you know what your role is how, you're never late you know, yeah. I think we always have that feeling that, oh, my God, why did I discover this so late? I didn't know that. And yeah. it's just like, OK, now that you do, what are you going to do? You're here and you're valid in yeah. this moment. Yeah, it's, it's very valid. You I, know, I hear you. You, you, you figured it out yeah. or you're learning or you're um, sharing and it's and it's dope. Mm -hmm. And so I think for us at the British Council and the work that we're doing, it doesn't necessarily make it more difficult because the work is it's led by creatives. All our projects are open call or respond to research. So it's always looking looking at, okay, what are people interested in learning right now? How do we make sure that we create an environment where they can connect with each other, share skills, document their own histories and tell their stories? So it's more about thinking about the British Council as an amplifier, as a platform and a connector of, of dots really with you, for you, so that you can do the work that you want to do. And so what becomes, I guess, what gives me a little anxiety is how many different things there are to connect with. You know, when we look at the work in cultural heritage and thinking about climate and the effect of climate and tangible heritage in the coast, for example, and doing that one day and then coming to a conversation with young people about, you know, cashews and the, the shape of that fertility and what how that connects. And I'm like, OK, yeah. <laughs> the list is long. Sure. <laughs> There's a lot. Like how do we how do we continue to create space and hold space for people who are interested in learning and exploring um their culture? And I think it's so interesting, like even when you talk about climate, and we're definitely going to go into more of those um conversations because sure. the older I've gotten, the more I've seen like everything is connected. Yeah. yeah? And yeah. it's and and I get you when you say the list is long because like there's this and then it's like, oh, but it's it plays to oh, it also plays to this exactly. other thing and this. So we'll definitely get into the programs. I, I gave a talk where I, I said, 
it that I feel like what Africa is going through and Africans are going through is an identity crisis, which is not a bad thing. I think it's 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 really awesome because the acknowledgement of, oh, okay, who I am needs to be a question I'm answering. Very many people don't know that they need to be answering that question. And that's it's so commendable that we can have that conversation now. But a huge part of that includes culture and these the collective, who are we? And then who am I as an African? So there's so many layers to it. But then there's also the past and then there's the word that keeps coming up, which is decolonization. So how does that then play into before finding out where your two identities are in the work that you do? But even for the work that you do, Sandra, at the British Council, when you bump into this word decolonization, how do you unpack it? Does it influence how you create kind of like this ecosystem to help amplify creators who are doing such important work in keeping culture alive and keeping culture evolving? The conversation about decolonization is so multi-pronged and, and quite rich and complex. And for I guess for the context of this conversation, I'm thinking about decolonization every day. I think it's, it's something that I come up against quite often and it really encourages me to think about my role in this organization. Uh, it, it makes me think about my role as a cultural producer and curator and um, how I think about the future, for example. There will often be a friction around some of those ideas because some of them are in natural conflict. That's not necessarily a bad thing as we understand that friction, you know, can propel you and can um, enhance your growth to become a better human and, and a, a better person to be around. So, so I think this, this conversation about decolonization, even within the context of our programs and within the context of, of cultural heritage has come up quite significantly. We recently had a symposium that ran for about a week during what we call a cultural heritage week. And it was curated by 12 West organizations. And we were looking at how do academics, um, thinkers, thought leaders think about this question of decolonization and cultural heritage? How are they encountering it in their work? And what are the conversations that they want to um, have now with their peers and with their audiences? And that goes back to the thing that I said about how the British Council works. It's looking at who who wants to have this conversation, who is well-placed to convene these voices and not make it about the organization, but make it about the needs of the sector and the conversations that they're looking to have. And we've really learned quite a lot about how to create those spaces and make sure that they are accessible. All the events were free. All the events were recorded. Uh, we've thought about disability access as well. And also just making sure that we have conversations with that content afterwards and ask, okay, now that we've talked about decolonization of architectural structures, what's the kind of research that people like Cave Bureau are interested in doing? What does that mean for materiality of, of things that we have used? What does that mean for those who think about herbal medicine like Harriet Botanicals? So it's it's quite complex. And for me, it always comes back to the question around how do I frame it and, and make sure that I am using the platforms to create more connections, to create further opportunities, to amplify the work and make sure that people can have access to the information that they're looking for. And you know why that's so important? I don't know if any of you have gone through it, like where you, I went for a conference in Zimbabwe and it was on African heritage and it was talking about objects and artifacts, migrated archives. Honestly, Brilliant. Even just a year ago, I never thought that I would be in a, a room talking about those things. You know, you always feel like you're so detached. Mm. But going there and you, you listen to conversations, sometimes the first step is just being part of events and you listen to a conversation and then it makes you think, wait, what? Okay, so I have a role. What? Okay, so when I'm creating things now, I have to think, okay, all right, so I'm going to now start doing ABCD. And so sometimes it may seem that even a convening is not important or it's not it's not tangible because it's not a paper, it's not a this, it's not a policy. But let me tell you, it sparks like so many thinking points, especially if you're creative, you're just like, ooh, ooh, we need to do this, you know? Um, so that work is very important. I wanted to dive deeper into the identity conversation and tie it with something that I guess Bev and, and you, Vicky, have in, in common, which is a program that you guys went through. So I don't know, Sandra, do you want to tell us a bit about the Creative DNA program? And then we can talk about how the experience was for you, Bev and Vicky, and how did it enrich or like influence or change something? Like you came out on the other side. Who are you now? You know? 
Sandra, you can just tell for, for those who, you know, if you're listening and you, you don't know about the Creative DNA program. So Creative DNA is a fashion program that has three strands. We look at business support where this incubator that um, Vicky and Bev went through. So that's looking at, okay, what are, what are the needs of these specific businesses? How could we collaborate with them in a cohort setting, get to know each other, share their issues and work through some of their challenges to hopefully come up with something innovative and useful for them. And then we have the policy and advocacy piece of the work, which is looking at um, what is the ecosystem around the fashion value chain and saying, right, what do people need to be either highlighted or focused on so that they can work through those issues on a policy level. And then we have um, just general research and networking. So we make sure that we can bring people together to share, to talk, because as you've mentioned, this convening piece is so important because that's when you also learn like, oh, maybe I was just missing the language. Mm. Maybe I just didn't have that introduction to such and such and my issues kind of solved by uh, being able to share and speak to others. So making sure that we can do that research, that we can platform it, that we can make connections between uh, stakeholders across the industry, that we can contribute toward policy change and lobbying. That's the full scope of the Creative DNA program. And we're in our third year and we're really excited to keep iterating and seeing how many different ways can we support the program. We listen to the feedback from the participants and our partners and then try to do better. And it's very hard for anybody to have any impact or make a living out of, of what they create if the ecosystem is not conducive for that. so And to harmonize yeah. and yeah. to agree that these are some of our, biz, our, our industry standards. Exactly. Um, you know, which is an issue we have across many of our uh, value chains. But it's, it's that and it felt like fashion was readier to mm. have that conversation about, okay, this is what we need. This is, what we're, this is how far we've gotten. This is the issue with our taxing. You know, this yeah. is the issue with pricing. Can we get together and collaborate to kind of make some progress there? That's really important. And so, Vicky, maybe you can speak to like, first, how did you even find out about this program? I learned about the Creative DNA program from a previous program that I was on being run by the EU, AU Union. And I was on that program with Sharon from Epica Jewelry, who was in Creative DNA the previous year. I so know she Sharon me, and she's amazing. She is, <laughs> yeah. she is. So she told me about it. And so I followed um, the British Council pages and the Creative DNA, like the whole, pe the people who are involved in the program and was just looking out for the next call for applications. So when it came out, I was like, yeah, let me just shoot my shot and see what happens. <laughs> I feel like the, the anxiety for not getting picked already happened with the previous, now the other one that I was on, because I was like, am I really going to make it? But then the whole time I was just like, the worst they can say is no. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I applied and then I got in and I was so excited. And and what are some of the things that you experiences you went through in the program that kind of like sit with you and now that you're out of it that will now influence your creative process going forward? I feel like the the classes were very eye-opening, especially those one we did on range planning, which literally solved the problem I had for planning for collections. Because you, I think many people who run small businesses can agree with me when I say that you get overwhelmed with the amount of things you have to do. So sometimes it gets hard to plan a collection because you have to think about the finances, you have to think about how you're going to get that money back. And I feel like the range planning class especially really helped me figure out, um, okay, so I can plan this amount of pieces to go for a lower range of prices. And then my more expensive pieces will be this amount. And it kind of makes things make sense. That's so important. Like when you talk about how overwhelming running something yourself is, where? <laughs> you know, and especially when it needs a creative... So I feel it as well, like I'm trying to create things, but then over there you're looking at taxes, admin. <laughs> and then when you're done with that, it's not a very creative process, those things. When you're done, your juices are spent. You're just like, okay, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I hear you when, you when you're talking about that. And I can imagine creating an entire range really requires you to be so present 
creatively. But what about you, Bev? And how did you hear about this? So I'm usually sent a lot of links for, I think my friends look out for me, to be honest. Oh, so much. So um, <laughs> a friend of mine that was in the previous cohort actually uh, sent it to me and was like, Bev, I think you, you are a good fit for this. I've been designing for a while. And, and so I knew I was just like, ah, this one, I have to be in there for sure. You know, just, yeah, so that's how I knew about it. I applied. Then there was we were shortlisted and we were contacted to be part of the program. We had trainers from Kenya and then trainers from the UK as well. So it was like interesting to see the perspective on how we do things in Kenya and how things have been done by other people. So that was quite eye-opening and you're like, okay, so I'm going wrong here, or I'm doing right here, or I should keep on doing this and maybe do less of this. So for me, the whole program was just like an overview of more of like, am I on the right track or not, you know? And it was it was very, after it, you're just feeling like, okay, I need to maybe push a bit more because we're on the right track and like there's amazing other people going through the same problems, you know, trying to come through with the same solutions. So it was just like an eye-opener. And I think the thing that stood out for me was now after, the, the, there's a project we did uh, called from nothing to something and it was uh, us partnering with other designers and then trying to create a product it was just like literally now putting what we've learned into practice in a very short time and that was really eye-opening in terms of how to you know work with different people uh, collaborate find resources find labor you know uh, agreeing on a design agreeing on you know like what what this so it was really it was really nice yeah and isn't that I, I think that's one thing that I find to be such a strength in like the creative industry or amongst creatives is that almost readiness to collaborate yes. like when you have these either you're brought together by whatever reason it's almost like you you share an idea and somebody's like hey maybe if you add this this will help in fact i know a guy let me give yeah. you the number but, you know what but, i mean you know, some, sometimes it can be too much because yeah. when you're dealing with creatives everybody wants that the, the, so maybe if vicky is big on jewelry yeah. and we, are, we, we have to do a collab together then she'll definitely push more of jewelries yeah. because that's what she's done. And maybe I'll push more of clothing. So sometimes it's hard to find like a sweet spot where like this is a design we are going for. Mm-hmm. So that was also part of the challenge because then it, 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 and I remember my team, I was just telling them like, guys, do not be too excited. Like we have to, you know, it's a, it's a project. It's like, okay, your creativity and we have to listen to everyone. So the challenge was coming like in putting her, her, her perspective and yours and yours and, and like coming up with a product that needs to sell. Yeah. So it was quite a real, like a real world challenge that uh, we face every day when we're designing for our brands uh, specifically. The difference maybe is just your one creative now. Because sometimes you can get lost in the creative process, isn't Definitely. it? And you're just like creating, yeah. creating, and yeah. you're never launching this product. <laughs> so it's not yet ready. On a personal level, as a Kenyan or as a an, an African, when you think about what you're going to create going forth, having been through this program, what exactly are you going to bring in intentionally that ties to either your identity or the culture that you you associate yourself with? So it could be a broader African culture. It could be like literally your community. Right. Um, so moving forward, what I plan to do is to be a lot more intentional with the pieces that I release and to be very intentional about the stories I'm telling with each piece that I release. I had shelved an idea because it needed money. But moving forward, I would like to center each collection around a community in Kenya and then later on move outside because I always felt like we have 40-something tribes in Kenya and when most of us are asked what people in our communities used to wear or what the community structure was like most of us can't answer that question so um my future collections moving forward will be uh centered around communities and i want to also be my storytelling i i would like to tell stories with these pieces and have everything around the design and how i even my pictures and my social media to be centered around that same story and just a cohesive moving forward. What about you, Bev? I think similarly as well. So part of, and I think when I was coming into the program, my way of going around things usually is not to speak so much about, say, the story or where it's coming from, but rather let the product speak. But I think after the program now, it was more apparent that I need to, you know, speak about myself, where I come from and, and what influences me and those kind of things as a person, right? So sharing more stories about my history, uh, my my community and, and what I'm trying to do. Um, but then also design-wise, um, 
like like I said, it's a moving target always. So you always say maybe there's a Shen culture. It's nice to put a Shen word on a T-shirt, you know. So you are always that you always have to be um, aware of what's going around you. Uh, but I think also what the program did for me is to have more faith in the entrepreneurship culture, if this subculture almost, you know, like collaborations and just like being confident in approaching people who are not doing the same thing as you, people who are not your kind, uh, people who are not from even your country, because that's part of how we move the culture forward, right? So it was just um, an eye opener to keep doing what we've been doing and to look out for other amazing uh, creators and collaborate with them as well and push the business culture, entrepreneurship culture forward. And so I know that like our community on Legally Clueless are very creative as well and very like tethered to like the the African story and just almost excited by us being able to tell our own stories, to listen to our own stories and learn about each other in a very unbiased and an uncensored way. It's not just the creative DNA. There's like many other programs as well. I was can I just ask that at the top of your list, Sandra? Yeah. You talk about the when you mentioned climate change. Sure. Or like thinking about that as well. It's very yeah. interesting because when these conversations are hard, they almost leave out the creative industry. So it's so mm. interesting to me that this is inclusive and seeing that oh no, there's a way that we can include this industry. There's a power it has. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And in keeping with the conversation that we've been having around everything is interconnected. Our heritage, you know, there'll be the tangible pieces and around how we use the materials that we encounter. There'll also be intangible things that we've learned about agriculture, what we grow, when we grow, how we grow it, what is good for the soil, what is good for our bodies and you know and some of that stuff is a little bit intangible some of it is quite tangible and it like there's a Venn diagram going on there you know when it comes to the ideas of what have we learned within our cultural context about how to deal with climate change there's rich histories and so many communities thinking about it consistently and willing to learn new things and share with each other so we have a program called the cultural protection fund which actually the next call for applications should be in June oh so Right on so time. <laughs> the timing is uncanny and I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's open primarily to heritage and cultural pro- producers and practitioners across Eastern Africa. And here we're talking about Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Sudan, Ethiopia primarily. Um, but if they are good projects and they're sound and they're feasible, they often get considered and, and you know, we're very open about what's possible, what's realistic, and the criteria are quite clear. That fund really looks at what is the role of climate in how we think about our lives and what is the role of conflict in how we shape our understanding of cultural heritage. And also oftentimes, how do those two things intersect? Uh, some of the beneficiaries that we've had through the Cultural Protection Fund include BookBank. Yeah, they do some incredible work looking at, especially this project to reference the Cultural Protection Fund, was looking at the role of climate change within the context of the Macmillan Library and the effect of, you know, the effect that it was having on their paper archives. Wow. If you consider that they, outside the Kenya archives, they have quite an extensive amount of our history stored in that mm-hmm. library and if it continued to be at risk there would there would have been things that we would not necessarily have seen or understood mm-hmm. about how our stories were being told and thinking especially about the digitization of like the newspapers or their photographs and you know bookbank went on to share the information about how to digitize your own personal archives and it's and so it's all connected in that yeah. way in how we think about ourselves how we think about our memory and how we think about who the custodian of those memories and recognizing that we can participate, you know, which is something that you were saying. It's like, what is our role and and how do we, how can we engage further? So that's a big one for me around climate and heritage. I like that because even it it also knocks off accessibility and a huge part of even just knowing who you are. First, do you have access to the information? To to continue on this climate change moment, in March, we were in Mombasa and we went to Jumbalam Twana. It is a slave port where, Mm -hmm. where a lot of the trade happened. And when you look at the ruins and what that space has become and what that space means to the communities, and when you consider how many similar sites exist littered across the Kenyan coast, it's not something that we talk about quite often. And we don't even explore who gets to preserve that heritage who has access to that heritage and what do we how do we understand the role of 
our people in in things as problematic as a slave trade. Absolutely. And and, and how do we also think about the ruins of the mosques and wells and homes that were in that space? I mean, the history is is. It blew my mind learning about the people who came before us. And I think that's it, right? Yeah. And also one of the more interesting things about that space is that it's also a botanical garden. So they have a lot of information and seeds and trees that are generations old. I mean, you see some baobabs that you're like... A hundred and fifty years or five hundred years for real? Like this is this is what we're saying. And because of how well the National Museums has preserved that site, it is also coincidentally a birthing place for some rare turtles. Oh wow. So it just just keeps giving. Like you're just like, look at this goodness. Like yeah. What are and we then, you doing? Know, the more we know about these yeah. things, do you feel like oh it does gosh. something for even your confidence as an African, as a Kenyan? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that's it, right? Yeah. And when you consider that and you think about, okay, how could I participate as a citizen who is interested and curious about my heritage? Because also that's the other thing, right? Do you as a non-Costarian consider that part of your heritage? Mm. And what would it take to inspire you to preserve it? and conserve it and, and amplify those stories. Is there a conflict there? And if there is, let's, you know, how do we explore yeah. it and where are the spaces for that? Yeah. If you're listening and, and you want to tap into some of these projects that yeah. um, the British Council have, yeah. so is there a particular space you can go to? Yes. 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 <laughs> so you can follow East Africa Arts on Instagram and you can also find us on the britishcouncil.org slash East Africa Arts. We have a newsletter that goes out every other month that has opportunities across sub-Saharan Africa in the UK, which is a really nice way to think about us all as, as you know, neighbours sharing resources. And through the hashtag East Africa Arts, we use it across all our social media platforms as well. Those okay. are the main ways. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put everything she said in the show notes. <laughs> So that is one click away and, and you can see what ongoing projects they are and how you can like plug in. I have one more opportunity that I want to share. Oh, I think I just like monopolized it with the climate change thing, isn't it? <laughs> no worries, no worries. It's it's really dope. I yeah. think it's important and yeah. I don't think we have enough cultural actors in that yeah. uh, her- in the heritage and climate space. So if you are there and you're interested, let's have a conversation and see what's possible. Um, but the other one is a program that we run with Heva Fund called Ignite Culture that's been running since 2021. And between 2021 and 2024, April, Heva Fund and the British Council will be awarding grants of 4.5 million euros is available for the sector. And we have just concluded our first call for applications and we're very excited. We'll be making those announcements in the coming week, but that means a second call for applications is coming up. And so I highly recommend, please follow us on Ignite Culture as well. This one also has a lot more flexibility and is open to more countries. So 14 countries across Eastern Africa. So you'll find that we include uh, the Comoros Islands, Mauritius, Djibouti, Burundi, uh, you know, so many languages and, and opportunities across cultures to collaborate or get support for your work. So it's between 30,000 euros to 180,000 euros. And you just need to be able to demonstrate that you have managed at least half of that amount before and that you're a credible organization doing credible work in the creative sector. But we have all the information on our website as well, East Africa Arts. We post about it on East Africa Arts, our Instagram. And it's a really great opportunity coming up soon. Yeah, and I'm I'm so happy that you're sharing these things because these are conversations we're having in like the creative spaces that I'm in. It's just trying to pull together all of these resources yeah. because the opportunities are there and then trying to also speak to each other and be like, just apply. Yeah. So the last conversation that I had was with um, African female podcasters. So we have a bit of a community to kind of like cheer each other on. We were talking about rejection parties because like somebody applied for something and she was like, I didn't get it. And so um, so she's from Zambia and then a Nigerian podcaster goes like, oh, you know what? Me and my friends, we have rejection parties. So you cry, you cry, you cry, <laughs> get it out and you move on to the next to the next and you keep applying and so when you hear of these opportunities don't think less of yourself don't think that you're not the work that you do is not needed is not valid it is so important because I think like huge change comes from like small everybody doing their small part and so 
I'm going to put all of these um, links in the show notes. Just apply, share them. If you're like Bev's friends, share them. Other people can plug in and just amplify the important work that they're doing. The last thing that I want to to end the random converse with is, is you, Vicky and Bev. I will definitely put in the show notes links to your platform so that we can be able to see your stuff and, and see what we can buy. But I want you to speak to other African creators as well. You know, if there's one thing you would want to, to leave them with, what would that thing be? Um, the thing I would leave creatives with, and it's the same thing I've been telling everyone ever, is usually if you're doing something by yourself, there is a lot of anxiety around it. There's a lot of self-doubt. You're very much in your mind. So just just do it. Just If it's an application, just do it. If it's starting your business, just do it. Because there's so many resources now. It's literally just opening an Instagram page and then seeing where it goes from there? Um, well, for me, I think um, to encourage creatives across Africa to, I don't want to say just do it, um, <laughs> but it's just do it. But just but do it. Nike, don't come for us. <laughs> just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no. But it's, uh, I think professionalize things. What I've learned across my journey is when you're a bit professional, when you're packaged, because there's the creative side, but then there's like, okay, the business side. So let's learn about the business side. Let's pack ourselves better let's i mean let's look for the opportunities but also let's let's be ready for the opportunities because you know most creatives just sit there waiting for british council and then you apply and then they ask you have you ever managed half of this and then you're like oops you know so let's really try get ahead let's position ourselves as professional and let's collaborate i think that helps a lot Random Convos powered by the British Council, helping entrepreneurs in the creative and arts industries gain business skills on their e-learning platform, communitytraining.britishcouncil.org. I hope you enjoyed that random convos as much as I did. Sending so much love to Sandra, to Vicky and to Bevan for just, you know, agreeing to be on the podcast with me and just really being so open about the experiences they went through in the creative dna program and the opportunities and the resources that you and i can really just plug into especially if you're in the space of working on programs or ideas around cultural heritage climate change and all the things that sandra spoke about i have actually put a link to them in the show notes but she did actually spell them out so you can search there you can also check out the creative e-learning platform which is community which is communitytraining.britishcouncil.org i actually have started using it so the two courses on there that are so apt for what I'm doing now are the one on bringing your idea to life because I think quite a few of my ideas just like circle in my mind and never really get out and then the other one is building your business because It is quite overwhelming. You know, this started off as an audio podcast, but now we are expanding. A few awesome announcements coming soon. But with that means I have to be very intentional. So I'm taking advantage of any and every course or resource or knowledge that I can tap into like this creative e-learning platform. So I've put a link to it as well in the show notes. Head over there and see how it helps your business or that creative idea that you have that you've been struggling to bring to life. It really warms my heart that I could have this conversation that is so dear to me on this platform with you and I hope you really have enjoyed it. Of course, we also center a lot of our episodes on African stories and if you want to share your story on this podcast, all you have to do is, again in the show notes, there's a link to a Google form. Fill it out. I'll get back to you. It's as simple as that actually. And you can also, if you're in Kenya, catch this podcast on Trace FM every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fridays at 1 p.m. So, If you prefer to tune in the nice old school way, head over to traceradio.co.ke for a list of all of the frequencies that you can catch Trace on and be sure to catch the podcast there as well. And as I close this episode, I'm just sending you a lot of grace, a lot of peace. And just a reminder, if you have the capacity to be kind to someone else this week, 
please go ahead and do so. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.